Hello and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Belfast, Kenneth Branagh's coming-of-age, semi-autobiographical comedy drama. Well, it's mm. drama, really. We, neither of us were really looking forward to this very much. We no. thought it looked a little bit self-indulgent, not that good. We're not that keen on Branagh as a director, really. No. Um, I didn't know about him as a writer, and also he's written this. I must say, having my expectations been lowered so much by my own sort of pessimism, and then acceptance that I was going to see this, I probably ended up having a better time than I might have otherwise. It's a film that's easy to love. Yeah, it's a feel-good film. There are some things that I think are really um, nice to see. Mm-hmm. I like the representation of kind of, of a happy marriage, yeah? Mm. Uh, and of a happy family life and, you know, of uh, relationships between, you know, fathers and sons. And I find it kind of rare to see that those are not the main problems in the film. Yeah, that all those, yeah, the mm. the affective dimension is uh, okay. The problems come from elsewhere. So, so there are all of those things that I liked very much, but I think it's a facile and superficial film and, you know, I mean, I was just looking at the wiki page and, you know, somebody was praising it for its formal beauty. I thought, like, that that aspect was so superficial. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the use of colour in the black and white, the colour reflecting of uh, Judy Dench's glasses in the black and white image. That is so, like, um, yeah, superficial. It's kind of like a nice image that means nothing. Right, except it has this nice effect. So I think the film formally is a nothing of a film, really. Um, and I found it a bit twee as well. Like mm. everything is just too simple and too nice. And yeah, yeah, I do know what you mean. Although I think you're you're right to point out the positivity of the portrayal of the family unit, especially in a film where. It could be playing up kitchen sink. Sure. And it, it looks like that as well. It could look like that. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really nice thing to see. But basically what it points to is it's a film that is nostalgic. So the film begins in colour. It begins with um, modern day footage uh, and I think photographs as well of Belfast. Mm. Which to me, I immediately thought this looks like a tourist board video. You know, like come to Belfast, see yeah. our ports, see our industry, blah, blah, blah. You know, it didn't quite it didn't quite have that. But it was basically like this little tour of Belfast and what it looks like now and I thought, this is pretty plain. Mm. Um, and then as you go over a wall, the camera you know, cranes up over a wall and you go into black and white and it says 15th of August, I think, 1969. Mm. And that's where the main story takes place. But it, it basically says like this is there's a real Belfast which you see right at the start and we're going into the land of memory as we go over that wall hmm. um and when you get yeah I, I thought okay we're done like it's black and white from now on and it primarily is but the surprise was at points when they're watching films and when they go to the hmm. theater you get these you get it in color hmm. um even though the audience is still in black and white the film or the play is in color and it's definitely superficial and it's quite simple but I did like the idea that the kid, basically the little kid who's nine years old, is Kenneth Branagh. That's mm. the representation of Kenneth Branagh in the film. Mm. And we follow him throughout. And so when he sees these movies and when he sees this play, Kenneth Branagh's own memories, that will be of them in colour. He sees Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang in colour, you know, so it's in mm. colour in the film. But his memories of his real past mm. 
are in black and white. Like you, it's it's a way that you shape the past. And I think the thing about the family is the same as well. The family probably had problems. And in fact, we do see problems. With, you know, there's this whole thing about are we going to move the thing about the tax, the back taxes. The, the father's bedding. Right. So there are problems in the family, but the feeling of the portrayal of the family is largely positive and quite fond. It speaks to the way in which our memories shape you know, our, our, our view of the past. Well, I mean, I, you know, again, I understand that. I don't mind that at all. I think the film is really indebted to John Borman's uh, Hope and Glory, I think the film is called, which is his childhood reminiscences about being a child during World War II, mm. right? And I think, you know, part of what you get from that film is that a child's memory is different than an adult memory, right? So, you know, when they have the V planes going over, they find it exciting, right? And, <laughs> you know, they play games. Yeah, kids yeah, are yeah. kids, right? So, um, so there's not, yeah, they don't treat those things or they don't view those things in the same way. So all of that I kind of um, get, uh, but I also think it's a bit trite. Yes, it is. It is trite. Uh, so, um, and I also think in terms of plot and story, it's kind of quite spotty. Mm. Um, you know, some scenes seem fairly independent from each other, and not in the way that you, like, a film can be built out of vignettes. It's not like that. It's just that there isn't quite enough connective tissue between things sometimes, I no. think. Despite the fact that the overall story makes sense, you know, you've, so you've got the ov- overall story. It doesn't story. all make sense. I mean, you know, I wasn't convinced. I mean, there was this moment mm. where the mother is saying, you know, uh, we have our aunts and our uncles and we know everybody who lives on this street and the next street... You know, and our kids are being looked yeah, after by everyone, mm-hmm. you know, so as an argument for not leaving, for not emigrating. And you think, you're in a fucking war zone. <laughs> like, are you crazy? Right? There's that. <laughs> and obviously, when it gets to, you actually find, finally have this riot at the end. Because this, this isn't set in 1969, which is around the start of the Troubles, which lasted for 30 years. So we're seeing the start of that. Um, and eventually, you actually see some violence in the last act of the film, and that's what drives the mother to say, "Okay, we do need to go now. You know, we've got involved in this, and this is we're in over our heads, and so on." So I thought you were going to say, um, "Is there is this talk of we know everyone here, we're all friends and stuff?" But actually, who do you see? I mean, you, you, the family is the family, and they don't really talk to anyone else. Well, uh, that too, though. Um... It's not that you don't get a sense. Well, you don't know. You don't get a sense of community. Well, not enough of one. No, no. I, I feel in a way you do. You you have all these shots of the women talking to each other outside and mm. blah blah. But but the film contradicts itself there because actually the people that they've been growing up all their lives with, with all their lives are the people that are putting a gun on their children's head to escape from the police. And also the idea that any mother would put their children in danger going through a riot. To return some soap, you know, to to a place that's being looted. Is... I, I think she didn't know. I mean, it did make sense to me because she didn't know it was a riot till she got there. The kid said we looted the shop, and we've already had the kid stealing from the corner shop. So I think maybe she, you know, she, until she gets there, I don't think she quite realised. Well, I think you're being very generous because the fact is, you see her going right it, through the riot into the shop and right to the shelf. Yes, you right. Don't, you don't and I a, think a mother would have stopped at the sight of the riot. I mean, you don't put you don't push your kids through a riot. Yeah, you don't to get turn some. You stuff. don't get a moment where she goes, "Oh shit, this is worse than I thought." Yeah, yeah, which exactly. she might. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I think I thought there were a lot of story elements that were not worked through. I thought Van Morrison's music did a lot of the emotional, you know, and connective kind of carry through. So it felt kind of the story was not knitted together well enough. It needed those kind of musical interludes. 
you know, to kind of go from scene to scene, mm. uh, which was a problem. I thought there were like real theatrical moments that you could guess in advance, right? So, you know, that moment where uh, Judy Dench is at the window and I forget who's having the conversation in the background. You know that, you know, the, the, the Judy Dench's expression is going to have the last word. I mean, I, could, mm. I predicted it. So there was a theatricality to it and a kind of a mm. lack of truthfulness, yeah? That, uh, uh, yeah, so you expect a theatrical trope rather than any kind of real emotion. So I think this film is being overpraised and yet I can understand why it's being overpraised because it's hugely likable. I found it hugely likable. Yeah. I was wondering, so, you know, before coming here, I was thinking we must remember to mention that the peace in Northern Ireland is at stake, or actually it's possibly been betrayed by the Tory government at this moment, right, through the Brexit talks and so on, so that this makes the film kind of especially poignant, Mm -hmm. yeah, Uh, that, you know, there's a risk of returning to that, but then I also kind of thought, well, isn't what Kenneth Branagh is saying is that it wasn't so bad after all? <laughs> I did, I did expect more focus on the troubles of the troubles. You know, mm. I expected more focus on the disruption to daily life and that sort of thing. And actually, the death, the suffering. We, I don't think right. we see one death. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, uh-huh. Well, the only death we see is Kieran Hines, but he dies of old age. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, nothing, nothing through through violence. Um, the main, well, the, the villainous character uh, played by Colin Morgan is so superficial, so simple. That this is just the villain, and he has a gun on him at one point, and he's holding family hostage. And you, you, you already said, you know, isn't this man? Like we, he knows Jamie Dornan's character, the dad, right? They obviously go back somewhere. They, they, they are friends. They're, they're of the same side of Christianity, right? Because they're not. It's not they're Catholic versus Protestant. They're both Protestant, and um, Colin Morgan is the one saying to Jamie Dornan, "Are you with us or against us? We mm. need you in the fight." And mm. that's where the aggression comes between them. Is that Jamie Dornan doesn't want involvement in this, and he's mm. talking about getting away to England where he works and so on. Um, it's so. It, it, it's it's such a simple cartoon villain almost um i thought it was i had real problems with that to be honest it's too simple everything was simple in this Um, film what carries it is the performers right so i thought catriona balf balf uh you know was so wonderful and charming as the mother Uh, and jamie dornan is you know i think wonderful as the father as well like you know very handsome and likable and and Kieran Hines and and Julie Dench, though you know I'm a bit sick of her, really. Um, but she she and Kieran Hines share a really nice chemistry together. They do. They're really love like. Th- I mean, this is the, it. But it all comes down to Kenneth Branagh's perspective of his own childhood. And this is like the memories of his grandparents. This is sure. the way you remember them. And when he's the kid is sat between them and he's saying how to get a girl, and the mum's there going, "Oh yeah, yeah, you and your girls." And all this. Yeah. You know, that's all the stuff. That's what it's like. And in fact, that's probably what. That's probably the reason that there's also actually less um, focus on on violence and and the politics of the troubles than you might otherwise expect. It's it's done through a child's eyes. It's all done through the kid. Actually, when you're nine years old or 11 years old, whatever it is, you don't really understand this stuff. You don't well, understand what your parents have given you and this talk of getting away. I'm ex- not... Go on. Except it's not formally done through the kid's eyes. I don't think the kid is uh, uh, the protagonist of the film. I think it is the parents. 
um, you know, so, you know, the young boy features, you know, heavily and certainly more so, you know, than his older brother. But it, we don't see the world through his point of view. Uh, you know, so, for example, the last shot in the film is Judy Dench, mm -hmm. right? And the boy's back is turned to the whole scene. So, yeah, it's not his... Yeah? No, yeah, it's not through and through. But I think that the overall feeling that I've been suggesting about the, the film being built on a kind of nostalgic framework. Sure, I, I get um, that. You know, yeah. but, but, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not quite that. But basically, it's like everything we see is through the kid's eyes. Yes. Um, I mean, a better director would have made it so. Mm. Um, I think. A better writer... <laughs> so, you know, the other thing that I thought was like, uh, you know, because I've been watching Almodovar, you know, I've been working on, on Almodovar, and really everything means, yeah, and every image is chosen, mm. and they're often beautiful, but they're, they're often always meaningful, yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually, I was looking at this film because I've just seen, you know, an Almodovar film this afternoon, and I was looking at this film, and it feels like thin and empty and facile, right? And often the pretty images that you get, you go, oh, that's a cool idea. But actually, it means nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is, you know, not the film of a visual artist. <laughs> no, it's kind of the film of an illustrator, in a way. Like It is quite pretty, and it's been nicely lit and so on, and it's very sharp and pretty, but it is sort of skin deep. And... and even the things that, that worked, I mean, there were shots where the, there are some, there's a focus at points on very tight close-up of people that I, that I quite liked. So that I, I liked getting that close-up to, to the actors' faces. And, but it's, it's, not, it's not having any particular effect other than to let you see a performance more closely. Yes. Um, it mostly didn't add up to too much. There's the occasional kind of show-off-y, like early on, right at the start, in fact, when... Um, the, the first riot starts right at the start of the film. The mob shows up and um, starts attacking Catholic houses. It's introduced through this revolving shot around the kids. Mm. And, you know, the, basically the kids, like, they're playing in the street and then the kid's face kind of drops and the camera moves around and in the background you see this mob mm. and the camera keeps rotating around and rotates around again and eventually a car blows up in it. And it's kind of... It's a, there's a little bit of sort of visual pyrotechnics going on in that. There's... It's a, it's a little bit of a stunt of a shot, um, but it doesn't have doesn't doesn't have the the effect that something that deliberate that that practice should have. Um, it's all kind of for nothing. It's all a bit cheap and stunty or half thought through. You know, so for example, the use of the westerns of who shot uh, Liberty Valance, I think, and of High Noon. Right, so there's this shot where, you know, Grace Kelly leaves and Gary Cooper is walking alone on the streets, right, of, I don't know where, Loretta or whatever. Um, and kind of the image cuts, yeah, to that street in Belfast as if it were mm -hmm. the Western House. And you think, like, what's the connection here, really? Like, you know, because there's no one doing the lone sheriff bit in the film. Mm. Yeah, like, it's, yeah. yeah. So it makes for a neat image and maybe like a, kind of the beginnings of a neat idea, yeah. That, but then if the accent were on Jamie Dornan, like, or the father acting on his conscience and the whole community against him, fine. The whole community isn't against him. And, you know, he's not 
a hero and he's not taking those risks and he's not even acting on principle. He's acting to protect his family. So mm. it's a stupid... Yeah, the use of the Westerns ultimately winds up having this payoff in the showdown between Jamie Dornan and uh, Colin Morgan in the streets when the rights happening right at the end. And in fact, one of them says, I forget what the line was, but they make reference to mm. cowboy or Heine or something like that. So it points it out to the audience quite explicitly, this is a cowboy moment. You know? And, you know, in terms of like good guy versus bad guy, you know, white hat versus black hat, it makes sense, right? It's there on screen. But again, what is the ultimate effect to it? Not, a, not an awful lot. It's, mm. it's just, it, I suppose it's just through the kind of use of the trope and the movie reference, emphasizing how good the one guy is and how bad the bad guy is, because we know that from movies that this, you know, but it's, it's for nothing. really. Yeah. It's, it's a awful. very, it's a very facile uh, film. Um, but let's kind of focus on, you know, on the charm of it, because I, you know, I mm. did like it a lot more and it's worth, you know, investigating why I think, I mean, for me, the depiction of family was definitely an attraction, you know, that it's a working class family was also an attraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that it was a, lo- you know, a loving family with, a with handsome, loving parents. And, you know, that also struck me because I thought in a way, you know, it's true that, you know, families who have kids, you know, from seven to, what, 13 or whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd be in their early 30s, right? Normally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that is at the time where, you know, people are at their handsomest and, <laughs> yeah, and so on. So, so it's right that it'd be cast this way, whereas usually it isn't, yeah? It's always either, ca- it's usually cast too old, actually, I think, mm. you know? Um, so so for, for me, all of that uh, was a pleasure. I thought for a moment, aren't Kieran Hines you know, and Julie Dench too old to be Jamie Dornan's parents? They really should be his grandparents. Uh, but then you think, well, people have aged differently in the in the sixties <laughs> than they do now. <laughs> and I'm out of olive oil. Mind you, I do uh, think I think uh, Kieran, uh, uh, I think that Jamie Dornan and Catriona Balfour are around forty rather than their early thirties. Still, yeah. Mm. I mean, you know, they are. They might be like late thirties or, but um, again, I think you know people mm. did age differently, and those things attracted my attention. So, for example, the opening shots of people walking in that street of Belfast, right? I think, hmm, you know, this is kind of miscast. Nobody in those years would be that fat, right? And even though they cast slim people, mm-hmm. yeah, our notion of slimness in 2020 is very different than it was, yeah, in 1968, yeah? I mean, I remember going to the VNA. I think they had an exhibition on clothes, right? And, you know, so famous ones like Mick Jagger and so on, uh, but uh, just other people. And really, it was like people were very thin. They had just come out of, you know, rationing had only ended in, what, 50-odd, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there was no fast food. So the notions of slimness then are very different than now. Uh, so to have, like, you know, people who were slim but then had a bit of a belly or whatever, it didn't strike me, like... It didn't add up to a street scene of Belfast in 1969 to me. Yeah, it was mm. kind of... I expected everyone to have been a lot thinner. What do you think of um, Jude Hill, who's the main kid in the film? 
Um, but apparently is a non-professional actor. I think Kenneth Branagh was saying he wanted someone who didn't have the expected responses and all that kind of thing. My initial response to him was, I hate child actors. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Um, he, I did warm up to him later, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I don't know if I just got used to him or whatever. Um, I thought the whole um, kids playing in the street scene right at the start was awful. Mm. I thought... There's way too much looped dialogue here to make mm. it nice and clear, but it sounds really fake. It's not integrated well. All people say, oh, come over here. Oh, hello, how are you? And all this. It sounds really, really, really fake. And not just fake in terms of it, like it's not connected to any character on screen, but fake and phony in the in kind of what's being said. It's like it's evoking this pastiche of what the past is supposed to sound like on a nice, exciting, sunny day. Mm. And way too much phony as well. It's just and the camera movement. I, I I really hated the whole construction of everything. And then actually, once you got into family drama and so on and so forth, it started to settle down. Um, and I liked it a lot more. And I felt the same way about the kid. I thought the kid is just not. It doesn't doesn't fit in this right. Mm. Um, and there's one particular extended close up on him early on where they're sat at the kitchen table, and he's with his parents. And it's a conversation between the three of them, but the parents. Uh, aren't being cut to when they're speaking. Mm. They speak off screen and the camera just stays on the kid the whole time. But this is a bit of a mistake. It's no particular fault of the kid. I think it's a... I mean, the film, I think, is full of decisions that have been made by the director that I questioned. This was one of them. Just cut it more naturally. You know, cut it at all. As Mm. opposed to staying on the kid the whole time. It it didn't quite work. Um, And I don't think it's entirely the kid's fault, but, but he didn't have enough to do in that scene when he's being spoken to when he's not speaking himself mm. anyway as the film went on I, as you did I warmed up to him I mm. liked him rather a lot more I wish he'd kissed the girl at the end you know yeah well hmm. oh, I, th- I nice. thought that was on fine the che- I really the cheek. I like that cheerio um, but I want to know more your thoughts so we've been criticising it quite a lot but did you feel charmed by it and if so what did you find charming about it uh, charmed would be a strong word for how I felt. Um, <laughs> um, it got to a point where I did sort of stop questioning everything that was happening, mm. you know, from a kind of filmmaking perspective, going, why have you done it this way? That kind of thing. Mm. I was doing that for quite a lot of the film. Got to a point where I did stop doing that, so I got into it. Um, the thing that I was most charmed by would be Kieran Hines and Judy Dench's performances, relationship, mm. their whole part in the story, I did like. Um, I don't think I have quite the same response to Judy Dench as, as you do. Um, mm. uh, but though I can see why you might feel like sort of standoffish towards her and that sort of thing. I did quite like her, though. Um, She's very hard to dislike, but I did think both the performance and the role as written was written very theatrically mm. in a very lovey fashion mm. that recognises her importance in the theatre and gives her precedence. I mean... There's no reason why she should have the last word in this narrative. You know, it's not about her. So that's that narrative importance is given over to social status, yeah, or to theatrical status rather than, you know, to to the logic of the story itself. Yeah, it's an interesting ending because I didn't dislike it at all. So the film ends with after the riot has kicked off um, and the family decides to leave, they go off on the bus. Um, and, you know, we've seen the bus a couple of times in the film because it's always the dad leaving on the bus to go to England to work for a couple of weeks and then come back. And now the family's with him on the bus and it's Judy Dench, who's Jamie Dorn's mother, 
saying goodbye. I didn't like when she, it, she there's a close up of her and she's talking to the guys on the bus when they can't hear it. She's just talking to herself. She's saying, go, don't look back. Um, thought, oh, <laughs> you don't need dialogue to say this. You know? um, I didn't like that. But then, and then the bus leaves, but we stay with her, and then you get this shot of her behind the the sort of pleated glass, whatever the word is, where you know, and the, her head on it, and this thing comes up for the ones who stayed, for the ones who left, and for the ones who never made it, or something like that, yeah. the ones we lost, um, which was, I mean, it felt very genuine, felt very heartfelt, but it didn't feel entirely, I don't know. Earned, we didn't know. see anybody who was lost. Well, exactly. The, you know, that's what the film... Is. It did occur to me that it is for a lot of people who haven't been portrayed. Yeah. Um, um. But, it, you know, it did also occur to me that another way of shooting that ending would be with the family on the bus leaving Belfast behind. We see Belfast fading into the background, and that would at least be equally appropriate a way to end, if not more appropriate, because we've been with the, with that family the whole time. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I thought it was, like, super phony... And incomprehending of, you know, of, of, of human relations. I mean, this is a woman who's just lost her husband and who presumably, I mean, I was going to say, whose son is just leaving, right? And, you know, to my mind, she's left alone amidst all these troubles, mm. right? So, and then I was thinking, well, actually, maybe she's not left alone because... You know, we're always being told about aunts and uncles, but maybe she has other kids that we've not seen, mm. which then is a problem that we've not seen them, right? And actually, they are referred to, I think. You know, the, one of the kids refers, I, I ducked into Uncle So-and-So's, uh, and he was in the loo or whatever. Um, mm. But, yeah. I, well, the question was, for me, was why isn't why is she going with them? Why is she being left on her own? It's I mean it's not it's not like completely implausible, you know. It could be this is my home, this is where I stay, this is where I live. But I don't think we've really heard that throughout the film. We heard it from the mother, and mm. the mother's the one who's decided like once her decision to go is made, then they're off. Mm. Um so she's the one who's been holding it back for that reason. Uh we haven't heard it from the grandmother. And... We've heard it from the father, the, the the grandfather though, you have to go. They're going to come back for you. Yes, yeah, we heard that, but uh, but in terms of saying I want to stay, this is my home and I would never leave. That's not something we get from the grandmother. I don't think we really understand what... I don't. Basically, I didn't know why she wasn't in, also leaving with them. Well, exactly, <laughs> right? So let's say if that was her only son, think of how sad and lonely and bereft yeah. she is. You know, if that's not her only son, you know, then that would be a reason for her not to leave. Yeah, yeah. With them. But we don't have a good picture of what the rest of the family looks exactly. like if there is one. If there is one, right? Um, which is a problem. There's one thing I wanted to ask you about, which was how much of a relationship you see to you know, your family move from Spain to Montreal. Mm-hmm. They still split their time between Spain and Montreal, as far as I'm aware. Well, not um, initially. I mean, when my parents retired, then they split their time. Oh, right. Okay. You know, I think uh, first they moved for good. Well, we moved for good for sure. I mean, you know, we're poor people can't afford to travel like that, particularly in the 1970s when fares were so high. I think, you know, the when we first arrived in Canada, I think it was five years before we returned to Spain. Sure. Well, that is around what I thought. I mean, I wasn't yeah. saying you were just like jet setting. I, I did yeah. know that you family had moved properly. Um, but there's talk in this film of moving properly. So ultimately they moved to England. That's where the job is that, he, that he's got and this house that's there for them. But before that, there's talk of um, Vancouver or Sydney, yeah, you know, these other kind of parts of the um, of, of the Commonwealth that might take us, and th- that w- we wouldn't be having these. And actually, these that discussion of the job in England 
it felt so fairy tale, or well, at least of another time, if not yes. another planet, right? We're doubling your wages. We're giving you a house rent free, you know, and it's a big house with a garden. Yeah. Well, I mean, t- totally plausible at the time. Now, as you say, it's of another world. Yes. I mean, I think even at the time to have given a house rent free, and you know, uh, maybe, I, I maybe corporate structures were a bit different back but then. I th- maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, I you know, I mean, I didn't, you know, I I thought unemployment was an issue in the UK in the late sixties and seventies. That's why they were all you know working in Germany. <laughs> What's that show where they go work I'll, in Germany? Alfred is in bed. is in bed. I mean, you know, so so to be giving people Irish people a house to work in yeah I mean that just didn't make any sense to me maybe but I can I can I can imagine that having some basis in fact maybe um, so, I, you know. I mean I don't know it just felt really yeah odd. sure yeah. but I mean I think the difference though that's pointing out between kind of the situation we've got here and the, the fairy tales as you say the mm. paradise that awaits us the possibilities is what that's there for mm. because then the thing that holds you back is but this is still our home sure and that's kind of what I wanted to ask because um because your family moved, I wondered, I wondered whether you felt any connection or saw any, uh, saw any realism or, or unrealism in the talk of leaving and um, the way the characters think about that. Yes. I mean, though I thought the mother was very unreasonable. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I didn't understand her. Because if you are promised so much more money, free housing, you know, a place where your children can flourish... You're even speaking the same language. I mean, my parents moved to some place that spoke a completely foreign language, mm. you know, and you're not leaving because you know everybody in this. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. That's, you know, mm. I, that really did not make any sense to me. Um, you know, so my family were economic migrants. I mean, they left because, you know, the economic conditions were so vastly superior in Canada than in Spain at that moment. But let me tell you, anybody who's in the middle of a war being fought on your street mm. that doesn't move at the first opportunity, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, I just don't. Yeah. You know, and kind of, you know, when you see what people are doing now to leave war zones and the risks they take and, you know, their lives and their children's lives and, you know, everything that people do to leave just such a situation when all you need to do as a British citizen is like, pack yourself off to London and you have a job and you have a house and I mean I just did not get it mm. it made no sense to me yeah and you know kind of my parents were as patriotic as anybody's my yeah. <laughs> my dad particularly you know he thinks like Spain is heaven on earth and his purgatory is that he hasn't been able to live there <laughs> 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 so all right so overall, you know, I had a much better time than I expected. I can understand why people like it. I still don't think it's a very good film, but I do think it's one that people might enjoy and I'd recommend it on that basis. I basically agree with all that. I can totally see why people like it so much. Um, I think ultimately I actually wound up being a little less positive about it than you did, which surprised me because mm. I think you were looking forward to it less than I was. Mm. Um but yeah it's I, I, I can't imagine myself watching it twice alright so uh, well thank you very much uh, for listening we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts Audible Google Podcasts Spotify SoundCloud and YouTube on social media we're on Facebook and Twitter at eavesdropmovies 
And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>